0: You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Pardon the interruption, but just a quick message from me to let you know about the leadership survey we have just placed on the website. Here at The Great Coaches, we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, but we have gone back to the transcripts of the more than 200 great coaches we've interviewed to identify their key leadership traits. We've then created a survey of 20 questions to help you compare your leadership style to theirs. It's free, only takes a few minutes to complete, and should help you find areas of relative strength and weakness. If you'd like to know more, check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there.
2: This is a chance, a When you can understand person, you can then work towards a common goal.
0: We are all on the same team. Know you role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got
1: to be better. Leave no doubt for nothing.
0: Great moments
2: are born from great opportunity.
1: Hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership. And so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues and our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Don Showalter. Don is a basketball coach who, over 32 years, coached in high schools in America. In that time, he led teams to 601 wins, eight conference titles and 11 district championships. In 1998, he served as head coach of the Youth USA team at the 1998 Nike Hoop Summit. Then in 2001, he became chair of the USA Basketball Cadet and Youth Committee. He was then appointed coach of the USA Under-16 and Under-17 teams and led those teams to 10 gold medals and 62 straight victories. He is considered one of the best youth basketball coaches of all time and has lectured all over the world, He also has a new book out called Cornfields to Gold Medals. Some of the highlights from our interview were the communication circle his teams use to finish training, where they hold hands and focus on connecting with each other. The importance of, quote, being where your feet are, end quote, as you can't be a coach 24-7. And how he mentors the way he was, and that means not telling people what to do but laying out the facts for them so they can make their own decisions. And just before we go to the interview, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to learn more, you can head over to the website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There you will find more video and podcast content taken from the 150 plus interviews we have done with some of the world's great coaches. You will also find our Insight database where we have snipped out insights from the videos of our interviews on leadership topics like culture, communication, and conflict. You can search through by keyword, sport, or coach, download, and share them. We'll be adding to it regularly as we interview more great coaches from around the world. And now, please enjoy our interview with Don Showalter.
0: You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Don
1: Showalter. Good morning, my time. Good afternoon to you, and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast.
2: I'm thrilled to be on the uh, this podcast. I know you've done a lot of coaches uh, in the past, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of uh, what you're doing.
1: Don, something really simple to get us going. Could you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to so far today? Um, I'm, I'm
2: based in Iowa, but the Colorado Springs is where our office is at, so I, I get there now and then. But basically i travel so much that it doesn't really matter where i'm located i can travel wherever i want to so i'm um, between camps right now i run a run a um, snow valley basketball school where we have uh 375 campers in, in in each session we have four sessions and i'm right in the middle of that right now so it's a busy time but good time i mean anytime you deal with basketball it's a good time
1: we're going to talk all about those travels we going to We may even talk about the camps as well as we go along, uh, because I know you you met someone famous there. But could I just start, Don, by talking about some of the, well, they are actually the giants in the coaching world that you've had experience (laughs) with. John Wooden, George Revelling, Pat Riley, and of course, there's Mike Shashevsky as well. I have to ask you, from this perspective, with some of the greats, what do you think the really great ones do differently that sets them apart.
2: You know that's a great question because in my in my travels, I get to uh, I get to go to practices and watch players and watch coaches coach, and uh, uh, so I, I think there's some things that really set uh, coaches apart. And I would say, you know, obviously one of those is uh, is organization, being organized. I think that's a key factor for for different coaches that that uh, that to make them uh, you know a little bit better. I I, and I always tell our players and and coaches alike that you know in order to be a little bit better, you got to be a little different. You know, if you did the same thing everybody else does, you'd be like everybody else. And so I think the great coaches uh, are a little bit different in the aspect of very organized. And, and what I mean by organization is they, they uh, not only organized with their practice plans and writing down things, but they're also very organized with their thoughts, how they're going to teach. And I think that's one of the things that John Wooden was very good at. Uh, Jay Wright is a good friend of mine uh, as well. And I think he's really spectacular at, at doing things that, that, you know, they know how, they know how to present something. so, uh, being organized in that aspect, of course, Coach K is probably one of the top top people in that. Um, I also think there's some other things that really go into making a great coach. I think humility is one. Um, I think the great coaches are very humble. Uh, John Wooden was as humble as anybody else, and he didn't have to be. You know, he won ten national ch- championships, and but he was very, very humble, and and really took you know us young coaches at his camp under his wing and. And really was uh, really was trying to you know give us something to make us better, and I think he certainly did that. Uh, Jay Wright's very humble, so I think humility has a lot lot to do with it. And I always say humility is something that uh, if you if you don't have humility, you are probably not going to learn anymore. Being humble allows you to learn uh, you know as much as you can. Uh, so I think those are two of the main things that that make uh, good coaches great. And sometimes I think the term, the uh, the term great is overused a lot in my estimation. Uh, I don't think there are a lot of great, great, you know, great coaches. I think a lot of very good coaches, but I think there's some separation there as to what really makes the uh, the great coaches different from the very good coaches.
1: Don, in the book, you tell the story of writing to John Wooden and asking for an opportunity to coach at his at his camp, but it was at this moment, perhaps more than any in the book, or definitely uh, the way that you presented it, that changed the trajectory of your life. And I'm yeah. just wondering, what did this lesson, this reaching out to John Wooden, what did this teach you?
2: Well, you know, I, first of all, I was a I was just a young, just college graduate and wanted to do. The, I, I I was. You know, I still am passionate about the game of basketball. So I wanted to, I wanted to be around the best. And, and, uh, whoever that was at that time, of course, it was John Wooden. But, you know, it, it, first of all, it, it, uh, taught me to step out of my comfort zone a little bit, you know, writing a letter to Coach John Wooden, who was arguably the best coach in, in the world at that time. And, and, uh, and so it, it allowed me to step out of my comfort zone a little bit. And it also, uh, I think, taught me that, you know, sometimes you, you have to, even if the, even if the door may close, I think you have to take chances with opportunities and that's what I did. And, uh, you know, I was, I was shocked to get a handwritten note back from coach Wooden and, and led to, uh, led to being a counselor the first year. And then also, uh, being a coach that first year, And you know, uh, that time I was like 21 years old, <laughs> and uh, I would have done. You know, I was doing everything at, as, as a counselor. You know, mopping floors and blowing up basketball, pumping up basketballs, and just doing whatever I could. And uh, evidently, I did. I did those things pretty well because then they asked me to be uh, come on, come on board as a coach. So, um, so know, yeah, I, I think those kind of things teach, especially young coaches. You know. the, the uh the, the fact that you you have to make the initiative i mean people aren't people are not going to come calling to you to uh hey can you coach this team or can you you know you have to make the initiative and then that that starts the whole train of um, of making contacts and uh, making good contacts with other coaches and and other opportunities opening up so that was definitely one of the things that uh certainly helped me out.
1: There's a terrific passage in the book that says, and this is the quote, the energy for building a program rests with the head coach, but the implementation of that energy lies in that coach's ability to empower assistant coaches to be part of the process. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, can you share with us the best ways that you've learned to empower others?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I, as a young coach, I didn't really understand that, but as I, you know, coach more years, I understood, first of all, that, that I, I was not, I I could not do everything I wanted to do. I mean, I, you know, there's only so much time. And so in order to really complement what I wanted to do, I have to have to empower, uh, my assistant coaches and not only my assistant coaches, but, you know, student managers, uh, and people that are in your program, first of all, it gives them a feeling that they are that that program is part of them too. I think that's so huge uh, for them to have that feeling that hey, you know, this isn't just Coach Showalter's program; it, it's it's my program too. So, you know, I would give our our assistant coaches duties like you know, one one's in charge of our of our post players, one's in charge of our guards, and they pretty much had the had the whole handle on substitution patterns for those areas during ballgames. You know, if they felt that uh, one of our post players or bigs needed to break and they, they, they they were allowed to substitute for them. So it really empowered them to, to be uh, an assistant coach with some, uh, a little bit of leverage and and a little bit of learning that goes on with that. So they, they took, I think uh, all the assistants I had took real pride in the fact that they were um, a major part of the program.
1: And I think one of the challenges I always find with empowering others is learning to let go, not be yeah. as involved in the details. How yeah. did you, uh, how did you evolve when it came to that area?
2: That's a great question. You know, first of all, I think that the term humility comes into that knowing that I don't know all the answers and I'm, I'm, I'm also learning. So, um, I think letting, letting go, I think the more I gave them, the better I felt. So we started out, you know, small. And here's 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 something that you can do. And I think even, you know, when it comes to mega corporations, I think the people that are CEOs have to let go a little bit and trust the people that are are working for them. I mean, that's that's the big thing. I think is is uh, the trust factor is, is huge. So if I trust my Coaches, I'm going to give them pretty much um, the freedom to do what they think is best and then I have to I have to uh, trust that it's going to work out and uh, and we all do, we all have these discussions I think we have discussions about it but uh, and in the end they know that if I need to change something I will but uh, by the same token is I think that trust back and forth between assistants it's also good because then I think the players, have more trust in the coaching staff than if it's just a uh, comes from one person. So um, whether you're a CEO or a coach, I think it's the same type of thing that goes into that uh, pattern of, of letting go and trusting the individuals that are working for you.
1: Don, there was one 12 month period in the mid nineties there where you coached the best high school players in America at the basketball festival, the all American game, And the Nike Hoops Festival, it's it was a pretty intense twelve months, and I'm wondering when you reflect on that period, how did it elevate your own leadership?
2: You know, at the time, I I probably didn't think about it much, but but, uh, you know, as I as I look back on that, I I think first of all, it it elevated my leadership from the standpoint of uh, of organization. I mean, I was really uh, I, I really tried to be organized in, w- in what I was doing, you know, with, with, with coaching high school, uh, average high school players, I would say. You know, we had some college players, but average, not elite players. But then you're coaching elite players in the McDonald's game. You're coaching NBA guys in the, in the, McDonald's, in the McDonald's and the Hoop Summit. So I think my organization and confidence really grew uh, having, having been able to coach those teams. And really, I tell people I didn't coach those elite players any different than I coached my high school team. I mean, to me, to me, players just want to get better, and and sometimes you just flat out coach them, and and uh, you know you're not going to coach them any different than I think you coach uh, your high school team because essentially you want them to become better just like you want your high school team to become better, and then I think then I think that builds a lot of trust in those kids that uh, trust you as a coach that you can deliver uh, some things that are going to make them get better, help them get
1: better. I have to ask, as the father of teenagers, you've spent your whole career coaching teenagers. And I'm wondering what you've learned, if anything, <laughs> about the best way of engaging with them when it comes to having more difficult conversations. Oh, boy.
2: Um yeah. You know, I think two, two of the pillars that I think really come into play, uh, with, with coaching and and not only coaching, just, you know, being a parent or, uh, being somebody who's around, I think is, is, uh, the one pillar is care. You really have to show you care. And I think that allows the people under your direction to, you know, to open up to you. And, uh, and uh, when they know you care, and I think you have uh, some really good conversations about what's going on in their lives. And, and and the second thing, as I brought up before, I think trust, you know, they, you know, t- teenagers have to trust you uh, to, to do what's best. And um, when they trust you, they're going to, you know, they're going to open up a little bit and, and uh, give 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 their thoughts to you because they trust you not only to keep it maybe between you and them, but they also trust your your knowledge and trust you to give them some good advice so to me, those are the two things before you can give anything, I think you got to develop caring and trust in order to kind of get them uh to feel that you uh really uh do have what's what what it takes to help them
1: Don, what did you learn? From George Ravling about preparing players mentally to compete.
2: You know, Coach Ravling was one of the best. I mean, he coached here in Iowa, and that's where I got to know him really well. Uh, he has actually endorsed my book, and um, I've known him and worked with him at Nike and some camps and throughout. But you know, Coach Ravling, he had so many great experiences. For one thing, I mean, he'll you know, as a young as a young uh, man, he was part of uh of of some some of the things that went on in our country uh with 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 uh, racial uh racial items that came up and, and so he was really his you know he, he really had some great thoughts about uh his experiences and I think just listening to him is was amazing. Second thing that really that I thought was that tremendous from his standpoint is is how many books he read I mean he read books after books after books and he loved to read books and and uh, uh, you know I, I spent some time with him when he um, at Iowa when he just got done reading books you know he talk about a book he just read and you know how great it was that he could filter into that book and and, uh, so, I, you know, those are some of the things I really remember about coach Rabbling. The other thing I, I really remember is, is how much he cared about his players. I mean, that was probably the thing as a young high school coach that I remember most. I go to watch practices with coach Rabbling and, and really how much he cared about his players. And you could just tell that on the practice court, um, as well as off the practice court. And he, he still has a very caring attitude, um, when I, when I visit with him and when he visits with other people. So to me, those things stand out a great deal.
1: He's uh high up on my uh, wish list of, uh, to interview one day. He's uh, yeah, his stories are are uh, quite inspirational. And I think he's uh...
2: very inspirational. Like I said, most of them, most of his stories, coach Railing's stories come, you know, come from when he was a young coach or a young man. And, and uh, you know, he's dealing with a lot of different things at his during his, when he was growing up and how he handled those and was just, it's inspiring. It really is.
1: Well, as is his Martin Luther King story, but we'll save that for another day. Yeah, Don, being a head coach, it can be an all consuming vocation. In fact, I am starting to form the opinion that it leads to a very unhealthy obsession, but looking back, what have you learned about managing the role so that it doesn't negatively impact your life?
2: Yeah. You know, as a young, as and as a young coach, I, I, I very I tell young coaches that, wow, you know, you, you really need to make sure that it's not, it's not coaching is not a 24 seven thing and you can't let it, you can't let it be who you are because really, you know, the, the coaching aspect is just what you do. It's not who you are. And, uh, sometimes coaches don't understand that when I tell them that. Um, but I, I think when, when, when you're, you, you know, we all know this phrase of be where your feet are. And I think that's a, that was a prime example for me as I was a young coach, when I was home, I had to be home. And that's where my attention was with my, with my wife and kids uh, as they were younger. And, you know, during a two hour practice, my feet were in the gym and I was very much, intentional about having the best practice I could and then uh, usually you know after the kids went to bed uh, I would spend time watching film or making next day's practice you know so you don't uh, trend on um, really your family's time with you just being a coach uh, 24-7 and uh, even you know I coached my son when he was in high school and one of the rules we had was you know when we're at home I'm not going to mention anything about practice or a game uh, with my son unless he brings it up. Now, if he brings it up, then he'll, then he'll start the conversation. Uh, but often what would happen, I'd be watching film of the game, and he would come come to, come to my uh, downstairs uh, film room, and we, we'd watch it together. So, you know, I, but I would never ask him, hey, come on down, let's watch film or, or try to correct him. Uh, at home because I, I couldn't do that to anybody else and I didn't think it was fair to him for me to be a, a coach all the time he needed to see me as a dad so uh great question and it's something I think that all coaches really struggle with you know where does the time come in for you know uh, and, and the higher up level you go to your you know your recruiting and everything else like that The high school coach you, you don't spend time recruiting but you certainly spend time you know, with your own team and and uh, um, doing doing team bonding things as well. So, I think you really have to be intentional about where you are and what that time involves.
1: Hi everyone, I'm here with Professor Eric Knight, the Executive Dean of the Macquarie Business School, and he's just stepped out of the classroom, Eric. How do the programs offered by the school help prepare people for the future? Well, Part of it is about preparing students to think about the outside world and seeing the changes and how that looks different. But it's also about people's inside world and how they draw from their inner purpose and motivation to be able to build careers that are meaningful for them over a very long time. Thanks, Eric. The master's programs at the Macquarie Business School, designed to empower you, challenge you and transform the way you think. When it comes to working with elite talent in the book, you talk about a four C framework that you Mm -hmm. use to help separate people who are similarly talented. Could you, could you tell us about that framework?
2: Yeah. You know, we, we, we have what we call the four C's of USA basketball. I think first one is uh, one of them is is comfort zone. And I think really players have to get out of their comfort zone. Uh, We have to get out of our comfort zone as coaches, as individuals, as CEOs of companies, I think if we just stay in a comfort zone, we're not going to continue to learn like we need to, or, you know, we're not going to uh, be able to, to grow uh, like we want to as a coach or as a player. So one of my, one of our jobs, I think as coaches is to get players out of their comfort zone in practice, that might, that might be a high competition level that might be uh, asking them to do something they're not quite quite ready to do it might be skill development that that they're not that they're lacking because anytime you ask a player uh to do skill development that they're not real good at it's out of their comfort zone for instance player's not real good with his left hand there's offhand weekend well i think you spend time on that but that's a little bit out of his comfort zone because he doesn't usually do that so uh, maybe it's maybe it's a 6 a.m practice maybe it's a uh, uh, you know maybe it's a, a time where in a practice session you you uh, um, you know you stop practice in the middle of it and just say, hey, we're done. I mean that's kind of out of their comfort zone. so there are a lot of ways I think you can get players out of their comfort zone, but I think that's a real huge piece of it. Another c is competition. you got to be able to compete. Um, NBA scouts ask me all the time though really Kind of the top question they ask me about players when they're evaluating players is what? How do they compete? You know, are they high-level competitors? And we've had some um, uh, com- players that are really high-level but are not really great competitors. And they get to the NBA and they find out soon that uh, they're just not—they're not, not going to make it in the NBA unless they're unless they're high-level competitors. And Then you have other kids who get drafted second round or don't get drafted that really make a team because of their high level uh, being competitive. So I think, you know, we as a coach have to get that competition uh, competitive uh, uh, juices flowing in practice in order to make them players understand that that's a huge part of them improving and them improving their skills, but also them improving their mental toughness. Uh, so that's obviously a big one. And then I would say, you know, communication is a, is a great thing. Uh, players have to learn how to communicate. And I always say that, that uh, you know, 16-, 17-year-olds, old. 1st of all, 16-, 17-year-olds, they don't know how to communicate. So you, so we have to teach it. And one of the things we always end up with at the end of a practice is our communication circle. And in that circle, we always uh, go through and, and tell people uh, to the right or left, you know, we, we ask the question for the day question for the day might be, tell a player to your left what he did good in practice. Uh so you might say, hey, you rebounded really well. So we're we're communicating, we're looking them in the eye, we say, you gotta look them in the eye, call them by their first name. So they have to say, hey Johnny, I thought you did a really good job of rebounding today. So they know how to communicate. And part of it is as coaches, we are always um, you know, we're always saying, hey, you gotta communicate better on the floor. You gotta communicate well, maybe really don't know how to communicate. And so uh, we give them that. And then we also tell them the, the best things, the, way, the best way to communicate uh, is to communicate early, loud, and often. So let's say on defense, you're, you're, you see a screen coming. You, you indicate, you, you call out screen early before it ever gets there Um you say it uh, often. When we say often, we mean three times. You know, hey, screen, screen, screen. We not You're not just going to babble off screen, screen, screen like young kids do. And then you're going to, and, and then you're going to uh, uh, say it often, which is what I just said is three times. So early, loud, and often are the three main ways to communicate. So now you give the players some avenue of how to communicate on the court, and then you give them how, how to communicate off the court by your communication circle. So those are some things that we think are really important in educating players on uh, the value of competition, um, the value of communication, the value of, of comfort zone in those, in those areas.
1: In that communication circle, am I right? In the book, you talk about you making them hold hands while you do that as well.
2: Yeah, that's, absolutely.
1: That's quite intimate. Is there any resistance to that? the first day
2: might be, but you know, first of all, that's out of their comfort zone. <laughs> uh, and, and I know some coaches do it and they say, well, instead of holding hands, they have them lock elbows, you know, which is maybe a little better way, you know, better way for some people to do it. But, you know, after a while it's just, it's automatic. They, they know what's coming. They know. Uh, so the resistance comes maybe the first couple of times. <clears throat> and then after they see what, what we're doing, why, um, there doesn't seem to be much resistance with it. I think the first time they do it, they're kind of looking at each other and going, you know, is this is this for real? type of thing. Uh but then I think once they once they go through and we we change questions every day. Uh, you know, one day might be just, hey, what's your favorite food? Just so they get to know each other. You know, kids don't know each other very much anymore, even though they're playing on the same team. What's your favorite movie? You know, who's your who's your favorite singer? Who's your favorite uh uh, what's your favorite car? You know, those kind of things are really important. And then I, I think what comes out of that is players tell other players what they do well. So that creates a role for that player without the coach telling them what the role is. So if I tell you, Hey, you, you're, you're a great rebounder all of a sudden, you're thinking, you know what, Johnny thinks I'm a really good rebounder. And so I'm going to make that my role. So now we have a roles being developed on your team and it doesn't even come from the coach. It comes from the fellow teammates. So that, that's just the beauty of that over, over a length of time. Um, the toughest question we always ask is, you know, tell us something that nobody would know about you. That is the absolute toughest question because now they kind of have to bear their soul. They have to trust their teammates. Uh, and we always say one thing is, is that, what whatever's said in that circle stays in that circle. And so, uh, I mean, we've had, we've had, uh, you know, people tell us that they're, you know, their uncle's in jail. They didn't, they never knew their dad. Uh, all those kind of things are really eye openers and, uh, develop a really sense of, you know, he's bearing his soul to us as a team and, uh, you know, we need to take it serious and, it, it it really it really develops, I think, a caring and trusting attitude that we're looking for.
1: Oh, that's a it's a great example and something I hadn't come across before. So thank you for, for sharing it, Don. But I was looking online and I found a great uh, seminar that you gave on a coach's DNA, and you identified five core pillars of that DNA. I would would love it if you could uh, share that with the audience.
2: Well, uh, if I can remember them offhand, but I think I can. Um, the, the five pillars of, and I think this is the fact that uh, you know we talked about DNA uh, a little bit, and what and this is what is made. This is what makes up coaching. I think I referred to it a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier. But uh, I think the first thing is you, the coach has to be a good teacher. Um, they just have to know how to teach, and they have to know. What the best way is to teach everybody in their, in their team, just like a good teacher in a classroom. So a, a teacher is, uh, they have some laws of learning. In other words, you may learn really well if I explain something to you. You can do it, but somebody else on my team, they they don't have a clue when I just explain it. They have to see it, observe it. So I think the laws of learning come into effect here, where you have to explain it. Then you have to show it what you want done. Uh, and then you rep rep, rep it uh, repeat it over and over because habits are built by reps habits are not built on me explaining something or doing or somebody else doing something so I think the reps and then you correct the reps and then you rep it again so that's that's how you develop a good solid skill foundation um, and' that, that's, that goes into teacher being a teacher uh, second thing I would say is be authentic be who you are be uh, Players can see right through you if you're not authentic. In other words, if you're if you trying to be somebody you're not, or, you know, you you have an air about you that this isn't really who you are, that, that builds no trust and, and really uh, takes the trust away from the players and the coach. So I think you need to just be authentic. And if, you know what? If you mess up as a coach, I think you need to admit that. Hey, you know what? We should have not played a man-to-man the whole game. We should have – went to maybe a little bit of zone. So I think if you own up to a few things, I think that's being authentic. Then I think the players, you know what? They could trust you a lot more on that. So uh, I, I think authentic is really something that coaches that, you know, you can't be coach K. You can't be Jay, right? You got to be who you are. And uh, uh, without going any further into that, that this is, this is an example of, you know, uh of coaches getting their own identity, trying to get their own identity with their players. Uh, you know, young coaches have really have no identity yet. They have to establish that identity with their players. And, uh, you know, then I, I talked about uh, being organized earlier. I think that's one of the pillars of being a great, being a, being a good coach is, is your organization. I talked about that. Uh, also talked about uh, the humility part to it. A great, a great coach, a great saying, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, who's a good friend of mine. He's a former NBA coach, and he's now it uh, on ESPN. But he had a great saying. He said there are two types of coaches: ones that are humble, and ones that will be humbled. He said because basketball will eventually humble everybody, <laughs> and that's so true. Uh, and then I think the last one for me and that I talked about DNA is being adaptable, and Man, coaches have to be adaptable to just so many things. Uh, you know, you come to practice and and uh, you have two kids sick and one, and, and somebody else, to, so now you're down to nine players in a practice and you have your perfect practice plan geared for 12 players. So, you know, you have to be adaptable. You have to be adaptable outside circumstances. And then I think game-wise you got to be adaptable to what the other team does. Man, if I want to... You know, I want to. I got to be adaptable. What the other coach does, the other coach throws a zone at me, and I don't, I don't get that, and I don't have uh, have a sense of of that he did that for two or three or four trips down the court. Uh, that's not good. I got to be adaptable, and I got to be adaptable, adaptable, quick. So adaptability is something that I think that really. So, so I think those are the five. Me, those are the five pillars that really uh, make it make a coach. A great coach, and they have to be developed. I think as a coach, uh, the longer coach coaches, I think those five things get to be developed uh, as a coach and as a leader uh, for your team.
1: One thing that's interesting about that list is that it doesn't necessarily touch on the role of mentors. And what comes through in the book is just your drive to not just meet people, but then connect with them. Maybe it's part of being authentic. You, there are so many stories where you'll meet someone, you'll send them a handwritten note, well, they'll yep. write back to you, you'll form a relationship. That relationship will lead to, I guess most famously, you being chosen to coach America. Yep. And it's just, it seems to define your life. Yep. And I wanted to know... You, you now mentor so many people as well. You, you and you not only mentor people in America, you mentor them all over the world. So Don, you know, if you could talk more broadly about the role that a mentor can make or have in someone's life.
2: You know, you first of all, you raise a good point. I, I think and I I don't at the time I don't I don't I never even considered it. But I think part of the reason that I was able to make a lot of connections was because I was authentic. You know, I wasn't trying to be somebody that, that was out there in left field and 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 as a, as a you know just as an afterthought. You know, wrote a note. I mean, I I, I and that's kind of just who I am. And I think being authentic really carried me to a lot of opportunities that I would not otherwise have. And so i think that word authentic as you mentioned is really uh, an important piece and and then being a mentor you know what really is a mentor well, i think a mentor is somebody that as i look back on my mentors a mentor is just somebody that's available uh for you to kind of lean on at times that you have uh you know whether you have questions or or decisions to make i think uh, a mentor is somebody that can help you in situations. And I've had a lot of mentors uh, that were really, you know, starting with Coach Wooden. My dad was a good mentor, obviously. I think that that really formed me a lot. Uh, you know, I had an uncle that's, that was a great mentor. And sometimes mentors don't even give you uh, necessarily answers, but they make you form your opinion about things. Uh, so you know, Coach Wooden would never really say um, when you'd ask him. He would never really say, "Well, well, Don, you know, I think you should do this." It was never that part of a being a mentor. He would he would say, "Well, Don, what do you think about this? Or how, how would it affect you if you did pursue this?" So he he mentors, I think, really makes you think about your own situation as opposed to just telling you, giving you what to do. And if that makes sense, I think, I think that's what I try to do now. I mean, I get, uh, you know, emails, uh, constant emails uh, and phone calls from coaches who, you know, whether, Hey, can you send me your, your man to man offense? Or, you know, I'm, I'm searching, I'm looking for a job, I'm, I'm applying for a job, and here's the situation. You know, what do you think? Uh, and again, I try and how I was mentored was don't tell them what to do, but lay out the facts for them. And then they have to make their own decision. So um, I enjoy that that piece of it. I mean, uh, um, and, and people still, I'm still, I still look for mentors in my life, even even at uh after coaching forty two years of high school basketball and with u s a basketball so you i think we never really stop searching for good mentors in our lives. I think that's something that we we constantly are uh you know uh drawn to you know um and, and I don't think you know to me usually you look as a mentor as somebody older and wiser a lot of sometimes mentors are can be younger people that have a, a little better sense of maybe a situation that they've been through. So, you know, mentors are, are, are somebody I think we all have to have a mentor uh, if not two or three that we can, that we can bounce things off of and lean on.
1: And you've had such a great career, 42 years, as you just said, I know that you're not coaching anymore, but you definitely are still mentoring as you, as you suggested in that that last answer. But, I'd like to finish just by asking you about the legacy that you hope you've left so far with the many, many peoples who you've connected with.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you really, what is a legacy that, uh, you know, I think definition of that uh, is probably important before you try and come up with what it, what your legacy is. But, you know, I guess a leg- my legacy is just how people remember you. You know, I want people to remember me as somebody who, uh, first of all, was very passionate and enthusiastic about, about the game of basketball. And I think that's the first legacy that I I would leave. Secondly, I think I would like to have people uh, uh, remember me as somebody who was, who was uh, a family man who really, really was, uh, took his family. You know, I took my family with me to camps in California. We, we, uh, we, we, uh, loaded up our our uh, van at that time and threw things in the back and we were off on a road on a road trip and you know uh, and, and fortunately my wife and, and kids really enjoyed the, the that aspect I think it, it was really good for our family so I, I think that's a piece of a legacy that we all leave um, you know the, I I think what what struck me and Pete wrote the book and cut me off here if I'm going, going too far away, but what, what, what struck me most about the book that Pete, when he, when he had a lot of interviews is things that former players were telling him that I really had forgotten that I had, you know, Oh yeah, I remember that now after I read it, but it's interesting because they don't remember the same things you remember. And, and, and and obviously you read the book, but very few of those players, I mean, they talk about games, but a lot of it was things that didn't have anything to do with winning or losing, you know, uh, which was, which really tells me a lot. uh, I think of building a legacy, you know, they're,
0: they're going to, they're going to,
2: sure. They're going to remember some wins and losses, but they're going to remember more about, you know, uh, what, what coach was like, you know, what did, what did he, what are some things that that uh, they go back to and refer to that I had said? Uh, and I think that struck me most about the book. So I think that's that's a piece of leaving a legacy as well. And I know that's a long answer to <laughs> to a, probably a short question.
1: No, it's a so. difficult difficult question. And I we interviewed Mike Dunlap recently, who I know uh, that you know. Yeah, and yeah. Mike, Mike, I think, and you share. A very special skill and that's the ability to teach and not only teach elite players but teach at all levels of society and i think it's a very special skill and i'm starting to form the opinion that it's actually teaching that is the foundation for leaving any kind of legacy
2: but- yeah mike is one of my best friends and he uh, he certainly is a basketball you know he's a basketball junkie he's a passionate he's enthusiastic he's been at all levels too so uh, he and I share many, many of the same ideas about the teaching and how they get across to
1: players. Don, it's been great chatting with you today. It's uh, been lovely for me reading the book and learning a little bit more about, about your journey and, and just how broad it's been. Thank you for today, and I wish you all the best for the book's climb up the charts. I know that it's out now, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes.
2: Good, yeah. It's, uh, I know it's the... Pre- the the pre-sales was pretty good. So I, I think it will it, it's interesting to a lot of different types of people. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate your efforts. And, gosh, being on your podcast means a lot to me. So I uh, appreciate that. Thank you, Don. Thank you.
1: Hi, everyone. You have been listening to the great coach Don Showalter. I hope you got a lot out of Don's dander earth style and found a few insights that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. When I listened back to Don, some of the other things that resonated with me were the strands of a coach's DNA, which includes humility, adaptability, teaching and organisation, and the examples he gives to illustrate each of them. The steps he takes to create a caring and trusting attitude within the group. The 4C framework he uses to evaluate players of similar talent and his views on empowerment and how it is essential if you want to get everything you wanted done. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen. And so if you've got comments, feedback, or ideas on things we can improve or people we can interview, then please let us know. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.